0: morning everyone this microphone right here we are continuing through the book of romans chapter 11 turn there in your bibles please book of romans chapter 11 and we are wrapping up this section of the book of romans chapters 9 through 11 a very important section in this book really you know talking about god's plan of salvation for the world for israel for the gentiles basically for ev- for the whole world we're seeing what's going on in the plan of god for the salvation of israel and the world and there's also a strong theme in these chapters and those that follow warning us against boasting and pride especially concerning our salvation we're going to see that again today
1: You know, we're regularly
0: told, and we probably need to be regularly told. I know I do. Hey, don't be arrogant. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't be boastful. Watch out for pride, especially concerning your salvation. The pride is is not of God. Put that away. There's no place for pride in the hearts of the people of God. And so be careful about that. Put it away. Watch out for that don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to. That's what we're told in here over and over again. And we've been seeing that, you know, God has a plan of salvation for all mankind. Not just for Israel, but for everyone. He wants us all, Jews and otherwise, to understand that we're saved by his mercy and grace alone. Through faith in Messiah Jesus Christ. Jewish people are not automatically saved simply because they're law-keeping Jewish people. That's not how it works. And us non-Jews, we're not saved, and we can't save ourselves simply by being good people. We've seen that. We're going to see it again today, because we need to keep being told, right? We just do. Now, when we Jews and Gentiles, when we all understand this properly, we understand there's no room for pride or boasting or arrogance, in our hearts. And we won't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. We won't think and act pridefully, especially, you know, toward each other in the church. Instead, we'll do better at humbly serving and loving each other. That's where this this is is taking us. We're going to see that chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, as the book ends. Humility, love, and service will help us to live in unity and harmony with each other in this world. You know, if any one of us came up here today, you know, before you guys showed up, we tuned these instruments, right? They were all in tune and we played off the same song sheet and we played in harmony and it's a beautiful sound. But what would it be like if we came up here didn't tune them up? Each one played what they wanted to. I played my own thing. It would, It sounds awful, right? Some of you have been to see an orchestra play, and at the beginning, everyone's tuning and kind of doing their own thing, and it's noise, right? That's not what you paid for with the ticket. (laughs) You didn't pay for that noise. They're just kind of getting ready. But when they all come together and play in unity, there's harmony and beauty, right? That's what we're being taught here. When we humble ourselves, when we seek unity and through love and service, the world sees this beautiful thing called the church and gives glory to God because of it. So this is essential, brothers and sisters. It's essential for our own godliness and salvation, and it's essential for the witness of the church and the world. So we need to pay close attention to these things and understand there's no place for pride. Instead, to be patient with each other, Build each other up in the church, not criticizing and judging each other for our differences. That's chapter 14. We're going to get to that. So read ahead. Read ahead and you'll see this. All this theology, we're learning all these things about God's gracious choice and being children of promise and all these things lead us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God. And humbly serve and love each other. And bear with each other's differences. All for his glory in the world. To point the world to Jesus. And glorify God the Father. And so that's kind of the setup for where we are as we finish chapter 11 today. And just as a quick review, at the end of chapter 10, we can see it doesn't look very good for Israel. After what he just said at the end of chapter 10. You can see that. You back up just a little bit. the end of chapter 10, I'll make you jealous of a nation, you foolish nation, I will make you angry. Isaiah is bold to say, I've been found by those who didn't even seek me. I have shown myself to those who didn't ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. <laughs> so you would think, you know, it's man, it's looking bad for Israel right now. Israel's heard the word of truth and rejected it. They've even understood the word of truth and rejected it.
1: Gentiles who
0: weren't even seeking after God have been shown mercy and by faith have entered into the covenant promises of God. Who weren't even trying, weren't even really looking for it. God opened up salvation to the Gentiles. Gentiles. Israel, on the other hand, has been a disobedient and contrary people, even though God has been faithful and helped them all along the way. So it prompts a couple of questions. We answered the first one last week. First question was this. Has God rejected his people? All the promises to the fathers, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Has God rejected all that? Is God not going to keep his covenant? Is that how it's going to work? We answered that last week in the first section of chapter 11. And then it begs another question. Did Israel stumble in order that they might fall? That's the question we're going to answer today. The answer to the first is this. God has not rejected his people. He's not rejected his people at all. This has always been his plan for the salvation of the world. But it wasn't the way we all thought it would play out. It wasn't the way we all understood it. Or they might have all understood it. Paul even calls it a mystery later on. Because it wasn't exactly like, we wouldn't do it this way. (laughs) We just wouldn't. You know, you read these things, you're like, God, why that way? Why did you choose that? It's a mystery. But that's his way of doing it. Who are we to question, right? That's what we've learned back in Romans chapter 9. But the clay doesn't say to the potter, why would you make me this way? No not ours our place to question god and we do the best we can to understand it in our own weakness of mind but the answer is this god has not rejected his people and paul answers the second question in our text today and so let's look at romans chapter 11 starting in verse 11 so paul says this so i asked did they stumble in order that they might fall by no means very strong declaration Certainly not, by no means. Rather, though, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So we're going to pause right here. We're going to take it like section by section, and we're going to finish out the chapter. It's a a large portion of text, but we're going to just pause right here. The, the whole end of this chapter is like one single flow of thought. We're going to kind of take it step by step. So the first thing we see here is that even though Israel has stumbled, has, have they stumbled to cause a permanent fall? Like are they permanently just out of the picture for God? Some people would say that. Oh, Israel doesn't matter anymore. They've been replaced by the church. Don't bother with Israel anymore. They've stumbled to it. They, they, they've fallen. They, 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 they're not even seeking God anymore. They're out of it. But Paul tells us right here, certainly not. Certainly not. He goes on to give a lot of different illustrations and explanations on that. What He's, he's telling us here, what has happened for Israel has been for the good of us Gentiles. So when he talks about Gentiles, that's you and me. Anyone who's non-Jewish, there's probably most of us in this room. It's been for for our good, for the good of the Gentiles. So there's every reason to believe that Israel itself will become jealous. And some of Paul's kinsmen, which he identifies himself with them, hey, these are my kinsmen, my countrymen. Some of them will be jealous of God's grace and mercy and choosing us and blessings being poured out on the Gentiles. And as a result of that, jealousy will come to faith. That's what we see here. And the Jewish people will come to faith because of God's blessings in our lives. And they'll want that for themselves. And so he picks up the language here that he used back in chapter 9. So all this chapter 9 to 11, it's, it's real closely, tightly knit. If you go back to chapter 9 and verse 30, you'll see the similar language here. He says, what shall we say then? Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so you'll remember that from the message on chapter 9. The Jewish people, law-keeping, Torah-keeping Jewish people were going along, you know, boom, boom, boom. They stumble over Jesus. Like, Jesus is the way. Here's the good news of the gospel. They're just bobbing along. Boom! They stumble over the stumbling stone. And I gave the illustration of you know me walking through my my kid's room at night, and I step on the Lego. <laughs> it was like, "Ow! What was that?" Right? And so it's like, wait a minute! All this Torah keeping, you know, law keeping, Jewishness, all of those things from the from the Torah. What you know that that's the way, right? And then they're presented with the gospel. It's like it's Jesus, faith in Messiah Jesus. And they just, they can't deal with it. It's a stumbling block. They're like, no way. That can't be that. I've dedicated my whole life to this other way. You can see it in Jesus' accounts with the Pharisees, right? They're the most like Torah keeping, law keeping, traditional, all these things. And they just can't get over this Jesus thing. You know, Messiah, that's it? Faith in Messiah Jesus? And G- he's the one? they can't do it it's a stumbling stone so yes they stumble paul says as a whole the jewish people as a nation they have stumbled but the question is this you know have they stumbled as to fall permanently and the answer is certainly not they have not they did not fall permanently let me explain this a little further israel stumble over the stumbling stone was not just something that happened at the same time as the Gentiles coming into faith, into righteousness, and to salvation, but it's actually part of the means by which we come in. God actually caused this to happen so that we could come in. And again, it's like, why God, why that way? I don't know. <laughs> I'll humbly stand before you and say, I don't know. It's a mystery. I can't present you an academic explanation to why God chose that way, but he did, and so for our benefit, think of that, for our benefit as Gentiles, God has hardened the Jewish people, caused them to stumble, so that the door for salvation for us could open wide for a time. Wow, that's amazing, God. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for Saving me by mercy and grace. He's showing us mercy in this time. And so Paul's trying to show us that Israel's hardening is directly related to the Gentiles coming into salvation. And he even talks about this back in chapter 9, verse 17. When he talks about, it's like Pharaoh's hardening. When Pharaoh's heart was hardened so that the Israelites could leave their bondage to sin in Egypt. You see that in 9.17. So somehow, way, God's bearing patiently with the rest vessels of wrath is part of the intention to bring these riches of salvation and blessings and spiritual blessing to us Gentiles. And through the transgression of the Israelites, the Jewish people, salvation has come to us and that's just that's remarkable you know as i sit and i studied this over and over again and read it over and over again i just rejoice in it and i want you to feel that today i want you to rejoice in that today that god would do that for us you know so many other religions in the world it, it's focused on a people like one people and this could have easily been oh yeah the israelites were, were chosen they'll be saved and the rest of the world sorry that's not the god that we love and serve he doesn't operate like that and so i want us to have a spirit of worship and, and praise and and thankfulness to the lord today because of these truths and the deeper we understand these truths in our hearts the more it motivates us to worship the lord now look at eleven fourteen, 14 and we see in eleven fourteen. 14 and back in chapter 10, verse 19, you can see, like, this is like a beautiful tapestry. It's all kind of interwoven together. Eleven, fourteen, and 10, 19, all say that this is intended to make Israel jealous. God has opened up salvation to us Gentiles, and it's intended to make Israel jealous. When the Gentiles come to faith, they come to share the blessings that God promised, to israel according to the, the flesh and israel sees this the jewish people see this and like that's mine you kids it's like you know when when your brother or sister gets something fun and like hey i want that why don't i get that right and you ever like be there on christmas morning you open up presents and stuff it's like i wanted that <laughs> and you'll even when you're little and haven't been taught better well maybe some of you when you're older, like you'll <laughs> that's mine right it's kind of the imagery here the nation of israel sees us gentiles like soaking it up with jesus and god and like spiritual blessings and all these things and like wow look at how god loves them look at how they got let, love god that's mine i want that <clears throat> makes them jealous it's a good jealousy a spiritual jealousy that they want the same relationship and and walk with god that we have And they know that the law keeping is not getting it there. There's a hole there that's just missing, even though all the ritual, the religion, all the law keeping doesn't make it happen. Doesn't give us relationship. There's a difference between religion and relationship. There are a lot of people in the world that have religion. There's no shortage of religion in the world. And you can go anywhere in the world, you'll find religious people. It's the relationship with God through Jesus Christ that matters. It's the relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ that gives us that salvation and joy and peace in our hearts that no amount of ritual and religion can ever give us. And so it's made, it's, it's, it's all done this way so that they will be jealous. Now look at verse 12. This gets even more interesting. Romans 11 verse 12. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their their full inclusion mean? Some of your transitions might say their fullness be. How much more will their fullness be? There's a, a, a sense of fullness here. There will be rich spiritual blessings for the world, including us Gentiles, when the full number of chosen Jews, many more than at the present time, come to faith in Jesus. That's what he's talking about here. So if their trespass, their stumbling, has given us Gentiles riches, how much more will their full inclusion be? So as Gentiles, we ought to be like, greedy for more blessings then more jewish people get saved because when their fullness comes in wow i mean it's great now but it's going to be even better is what paul's saying so let's let's get greedy for sharing the gospel with jews and for more spiritual blessings there's nothing wrong with that hey who doesn't want more spiritual blessings i, I want more spiritual blessings Our our purpose in life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's joy. Our purpose in life is joy through glorifying God. And so let's get greedy for the spiritual blessings. And take every opportunity we can to share the gospel. And especially with Jewish people. Now, sometimes we're kind of afraid to share the gospel with Jewish people. We're like, oh, man. And I don't know about that. they Are going to know more Old Testament than I do? And they're going to try to ask me all kinds of questions about that. And I don't read that very much. And I'm not sure I'm equipped to do that. And we start doubting and all these things. And we just avoid it. But don't avoid it. You share the gospel with them, just like you share it with anybody else. Hey, you can have eternal life and salvation by trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Believe in him today, and you'll be saved. It's that simple. What do we just uh, see in chapter 10? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart, you'll be saved. It's that simple. So share the gospel, especially with Jewish people. Now, these statements we just read, verse 12, they take us back to chapter 5, where Paul discusses the sin of Adam. Through the law, Israel has been found guilty of the sin of Adam and has acted it out on this grand scale. But unlike the trespass of Adam, which brought sin and death to the world, the trespass of Israel has brought salvation and riches to the world. Strange, isn't it? (laughs) So how much more then should Israel receive fullness? How much more riches when Israel, the fullness of Israel has come in? And so he's showing us here, too, that Israel, like everyone else, is in Adam. And guilty of sin. God's not going to just save them all just because they're Jewish. Because they're Israelites. That's not how it's going to work. Israel's like everyone else. They're guilty of sin. But Israel is also, according to the flesh, Messiah's own people. And so we as Gentiles, we should eagerly await and even work diligently to share the gospel with Jewish people. And the result is more Jewish believers in Jesus and more spiritual uh, riches and blessings for us all. So let's get after that. Now look at verse 13. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous. There it is again. And thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? So he's carrying this on again. It's the same message again. And he's speaking to us Gentile Christians here specifically. And his aim in this is to warn us against arrogance towards the Jews. And we're going to see that in a few more verses. Be careful, brothers and sisters, not to be arrogant against the Jews prideful uh-huh. you guys had your shot you blew it we, it's all for us now we're better than you you knuckleheads right you knew everything and you blew it right that can be our attitude you are god's chosen people all you do is groan and complain and rebel against god you don't get it right? we can have arrogance and pride when you talk like that when you think like that towards someone else that's arrogance that's pride and so we're being warned against that it's going to get even stronger warning in a few verses so brothers and sisters don't fall into the trap of assuming that god has given up on the jews and doesn't care about them anymore don't fall into the trap of thinking you are better than them that's sin that's a trap Paul doesn't want us to think that God cannot and will not save any more Jews. God is in the business of saving souls today, Jewish and everyone else. And he's also, Paul's also aiming to exploit this jealousy that Deuteronomy 32 spoke about. God will always be faithful to the promise of Abraham. There will always be some of Abraham's physical descendants who are included in the true seed that he talks about. God is true to his promise. Remember last time when we saw the story of Elijah and Elijah's in the cave and he's crying out to God. It's like, oh God, just, just kill me now. God, take me right now. I'm the only one left. There's no one else. And they want to even kill me. You know, right after he just defeated all the prophets of Baal, God comes down with fire and Fire licks up the wet offering and everything else. After all that, he's in depression and despair, and he's crying out to God, Just take me now. And what's God's response? No, no, no. I still have my people. I still have my plan. Here it is. I have my people. You be faithful and go. That's what he tells Elijah. God is always going to have his people, and he's still in the business of saving even the Jewish people today by faith in Messiah Jesus. That's how they're saved. We're going to see more of that in a moment too. <clears throat> Verse 15, we see this. Says, Paul's saying here once more, Once he's saying here, once you realize that their casting away was like the death of Messiah. So you can see this imagery here. Their class, casting away is like the death of Messiah. When they're brought back in, he says, what? What would their acceptance mean? But life from the dead. So it's like a mini Easter. Like we celebrate Easter. That's the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he said, if they're casting away is like that. Imagine what it's like when their fullness comes in. Or imagine what it's like when they're reconciled. It'll be like life from the dead, like a mini Easter. So celebrate. You should celebrate that. And he's saying what uh, chapter four verse seventeen already said: Abraham's family will consist of those who are brought back from the dead, Jewish converts, and those who are created out of nothing, Gentile converts. God's plan encompasses all. And then he goes further, verse sixteen. He's going to give some illustrations here. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy. So are the branches. And so he gives two illustrations here concerning Israel, the Gentiles, <laughs> and salvation one of first fruits and the next of a tree. That's verse 16. Now he doesn't expand on the first fruits illustration, but you remember my Easter message, don't you? Everyone remembers that. I'm sure. <laughs> you can go back to the website and listen to it if you don't remember. But it was happy first fruits. And so he gives the illustration of the first fruits that comes from the Feast of Weeks. It comes from the, the, the feast right after Passover. In summary, once the first part of the dough has been offered to God and is considered holy and consecrated, the entire batch is considered holy, consecrated and ready for use. It's the first fruits concept. We're to offer up our first fruits to the Lord now it seems to me that Jesus is the first fruits because I want to ask, like, start asking questions of the text. Well, who's the first fruits? Who's the root? What are he talking about here? What do these illustrations, imageries mean? It seems to me that Jesus is the first fruits, Messiah Jesus. He's the, the first fruits offering and the root supporting the tree. Some think that these are the patriarchs, others have other explanations. You can go study that for yourself. In my opinion, it seems to be Jesus. I think he means Jesus here with both of these. Jesus is the first fruits offering, which makes the rest holy through his sacrifice. Jesus is the root of the tree who makes the rest of the tree holy. And let's pay attention closely to this next illustration of this, this picture of the tree, verse 17. And I'm going to read this section of text. So pay attention to this because this is the attitude we can have in our hearts if we're not careful. Verse 17. If some of the branches were broken off and you, talking to us, Gentiles you although a wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree verse 18 do not be arrogant towards the branches if you are remember it is not you who supports the root but the root supports you then you say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in that is true They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Whoa, Paul, serious words. Verse 22, note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. Whoa, what'd you just say? Really? And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you are cut off, from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree how much more will these the natural branches be grafted back in to their own olive tree and so he's using this illustration and some of you may not know what he's talking about by grafting so you know if you've done some gardening you can take a branch off one tree and kind of like put it on another tree and it'll grow into that tree it's really kind of freaky (laughs) but it, it, it happens and so he's saying some of these original branches of this olive tree have been cut off put aside and some wild crazy branches from over here have been put into this natural olive tree the original olive tree branches are the jewish people unbelief they stumbled they were cut off and put aside The wild, crazy ones are us Gentiles. And we were taken from this wild wilderness over here and put into this beautiful olive tree by the Lord. That's what's happened. The whole argument here is really aimed against our arrogance. I'll say that again. He's warning us, don't be prideful against the jewish people or for that matter anyone be careful the olive tree is the people of god people stretching all the way back to abraham and now including both jews and gentiles includes both
1: this is an old
0: testament reference back to jeremiah chapter 11 verse 16 where he says israel is an olive tree whose branches are broken off in judgment So he's bringing that forward. There's an echo of that. He's bringing it forward now. Messiah Jesus is the root through whom the whole tree now gets its life. Jesus is the one who holds the whole thing in place, enabling us Gentile members to gain life. Our life comes from Jesus, not from our own efforts. It comes from Jesus. He's the root. And the purpose of this illustration is to help us Gentile Christians realize our place within God's saving purposes. We're not the new aristocracy. We're not the new kingly family. We're the wild cousins. (laughs) We're the wild cousins. Can you imagine how this would feel for the Jewish people? Suddenly we're showing up at the table. Hey, y'all, what's for dinner? Potatoes. what you got here tonight? Well, we've got this filet mignon, and we've got this uh, demi-glace, and we've got this truffle oil. and got any hey, ranch dressing pizza? <laughs> yeah, we're the wild cousins at the table now. It's like, what? So Paul's telling us this to help us know who we are and our place in this whole thing. You know, we're not, so, we're not the new special kingly family here that we might think we are. We're the wild tree that's been grafted in <clears throat> by the grace and mercy of God is what he's telling us. we're the wild country cousins to everyone's surprise who gets to share not only at the table, but in all the inheritance. <laughs> like we show up like they're sharing in the inheritance too. All the blessings, everything. Are you kidding me, God? Really? Yep. That's how it is. Go give them a hug. <laughs> Get to know them. So you can imagine what this feels like in the church, right? Cause this, think back to what's going on in history in the church in rome i think claudius was the emperor and he had expelled all the jews out of rome and so for a long time the church in rome was only gentiles then the jews started coming back after that edict was over and now the church has both jews and gentiles together in in the church and they're having to like get along with each other and live in harmony with each other and the jews you know, they have the law and they want to, they, these are believing Jews in the church, but they still want to keep the feast. They still want to keep the diet. They still want to do that. And the Gentiles are suddenly here and they're having pork barbecue cookouts and stuff and and all these things. And they're not keeping the feast. And then the Jews are like, "Why? what are you doing? I can't come to that. And, you know, there's all this tension and strife and difficulty and fighting probably even. You know, if you love God, you wouldn't eat that stuff. Well, if you love God, you wouldn't care about what I eat. And, you know, all that stuff, right? Bang, 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 just fighting. And so Paul's trying to say, God, come together. Come together. Wild country cousins. Seed of Abraham, Jewish people, come together in love and unity and harmony. That's why he's trying to teach you. So us Gentiles, we we need to know our place. We have no business being prideful over those of the unfortunate original family members who have for the moment even been kicked out. God is well capable in this illustration of bringing them back in. Easier to put the natural branch back into the tree than it is to graft in that wild one. Know your place, Gentiles. Don't be prideful about this, is the warning. So there's no place for boasting in our hearts, brothers and sisters. There's no place for boasting for Torah-keeping Jews, and there's no boasting for us wild cousin Gentiles. No place for boasting. What's the only thing that really counts? It's our faith. Our faith is the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that counts. You're in this tree, Paul is teaching us, by faith alone. That's how you're in this tree. And so he warns us, hey, avoid boasting and you better maintain your faithfulness. Because if by faith you're in this tree, you better continue to walk in faithfulness. And God will make you able to walk in faithfulness. You're in the tree by faith. Faithfulness is the only valid badge of membership. Everything else leads to boasting. Now, verse 22, when he talks about being cut off, what's he talking about there? Does he mean I can lose my salvation? That's the first question I start thinking about. Like, wow, if I'm not faithful anymore, I'm cut off. Can I lose my salvation? Well, we know from the bigger context of scripture that that's not the case. God chooses, it's his gracious choice. He adopts us as children into his family. And so there's nothing we can do to earn or lose our salvation. So what does he mean here then? I think he's talking more generally speaking in the context of a church. And I thought about the, the churches that he addresses in the first two chapters of Revelation, Revelation 2 and 3. He's talking about a warning here to an entire church. He he warns the church at Laodicea, you know, you're not hot for me. You're not cold for me. Because you're neither hot or cold, you're lukewarm. Because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's the warning to us as a church, brothers and sisters. Over time, you know, if we're not continuing in our faithfulness, if we don't have hot hearts for God, then little by little, the people coming into this church will change out. And this will just be a club. And just because it says church on the sign doesn't mean that's the people of God. And he'll spit you right out. I'll spit that church right out of my mouth. He's not into clubs. He's into covenant believers who trust in him for salvation. and are hot for him in our lives to worship the Lord Jesus. Take the gospel to the nations. And so I think that's the warning here. Continue in your faithfulness. A church that begins to boast in the way Paul is warning against may not last another generation. The only way forward is through faith. And faith by its very nature means dependence on God rather than confidence in our human status, our family, our birth, our privilege, or any merit, good works that we do. And so we see Israel, according to the flesh, has failed to believe in the gospel of the Messiah. The gospel that is God's power to salvation to all who believe, since all who confess Jesus as Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead will be saved. Israel as a whole has failed to believe that. Israel as individuals are still being saved. I think that's one of the points he's trying to make. Paul, for example is a jewish person as an individual who believed in jesus and was saved look at verse 25 lest you be wise in your own sight again a warning against pride i do not want you to be unaware of this mystery my brothers a partial a partial hardening has come upon israel until the fullness of the gentiles has come in so again he warns us against pride and he calls this a mystery The mystery is God's long-range plan and purpose that has now been unveiled through the gospel of Messiah Jesus. That's the mystery. Hardening is what happens when otherwise immediate judgment is postponed. Like, we all deserve immediate judgment, but God is patient. God is gracious. And so that's what's happening with Israel right now. He's withheld judgment and a hardening has happened in their hearts as he has withheld his judgment. Very few take advantage of that grace and mercy and believe. As a whole, they become hardened, and they don't avail themselves to the chance to repent and believe. Now, this hardening has two results. Either the person comes to their senses recognizes God's mercy and repents or they're fitted more fully for the judgment that they will happen and that they deserve. We all deserve judgment. And so that's what's happening in this time of hardening. Look at verse 26. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as regards election, they are beloved for the sake of the forefathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, So they too have now been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. For God has consigned all to disobedience, that he may have mercy on all. So what in the world does that mean? What's he saying here? I think he's saying this, the mystery of God's dealings with Israel and the Gentiles is now unveiled. The long-range plan of salvation for the world has now been made known. The hardening of Israel and the coming in of the Gentiles is God's means of saving, quote, all Israel. The covenant will be fulfilled in the way God has always intended, by being renewed through the Messiah, Jesus, for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever Jewish people come to faith in Jesus as Messiah, this is a further sign that God is faithful to the promises made to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You see that in verses 25 through 32. And this is the end of this argument. It's it's the end of the whole discussion that started in chapter 9, verse 6. He's wrapping it up right here for us. You remember what chapter nine, verse six said. It said this, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So this is is what he means by when he says all Israel will be saved. It's not the entire Jewish nation. All Israel is this, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. It's the Jewish people who believe in Messiah Jesus are Israel. That's what he's saying here. And the bigger picture of this is we are all saved by God's gracious choice through faith in Messiah Jesus. It's the same whether you're Jewish or you're this wild country cousin Gentile. We're all saved the same way. That's the point he's driving home here. And the application to us today is that, you know, knowing this, knowing these truths, we ought to live by faith without arrogance and boasting and pride. Now, even with each other in, the, in our own context right here. Like, there might not be any Jewish people sitting in this room. So be careful, brothers and sisters. We can have arrogance, boasting, and pride even about our daily lives. You know, I'm better than so-and-so because I, you know, homeschool my children and they don't. I'm better than so-and-so because I wear, the, you know, this these types of clothes and they, they wear those other types of clothes. You know, God-loving people wouldn't dress like that. You know, I'm better than so-and-so because... You know, I read my Bible for like an hour a day and pray. And, you know, the, you can start adding these things up in your mind, can't you? On and on we go. And you know what you do. I don't know what you say to yourself in your heart or what you say to each other in your family. But, man, we do this. It's in, it's in our fleshly human nature to be prideful and look constantly for ways that, to make us feel better than someone else. And God just warns against that. So when we find ourselves thinking that way, you know, realize it, understand it. I I don't need to think that way. I need to think in ways that build other people up. When you see yourself starting to talk that way, especially in your family or with uh, with friends, help each other, stop each other. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's not go down that, that path. Let's, let's talk about things that build other people up. Let's say words that are encouraging or positive that build others up instead of trying to tear them down and make us look better. Let's, let's change the conversation and let's put that pride away from our hearts. Let's get it out of our hearts and get it out of our mouths. And let's look for ways to love and serve each other in humility and not be boastful and arrogant toward each other. In our hearts and, and through our words. I think that's his application for us today in, in this context. And as we go about in the world, we see a Jewish person. <laughs> Let's share the gospel with them. Not be afraid to do that. Greedy for selfish, ble- for spiritual blessing. Nothing wrong with that. Share the gospel with them. Don't be ashamed of it. The power of God to salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. And so the word of God has not failed. God has been true to his covenant, his righteousness unveiled in the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, to all of creation, all the way back to Romans chapter 1, verse 17, which I just quoted. And then he he closes with this praise, and I'm just going to close with this praise as well, starting at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. None of us. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him, God, be glory forever. Amen.